0: We are going to be looking at Judges chapter 14. Before we get started, I just want you to repeat after me. I love my pastor. <laughs> there's, there's really no reason for that. There's just, uh, you know, just one of those things I thought we'd do every once in a while. I got a letter in the mail and I suspect that is a letter that was sent to several churches. Uh, but it's a handwritten letter. It was from someone who's in prison out in Erie, Pennsylvania. They were asking for some help in some buying some boots because it's cold out there. They are expected to go on to parole uh, in the next couple of months. He did say that the area of parole would be around this area. So that is all I have. I brought the letter over if anybody wants to, to read it. He didn't make it private to me or anything like that. It's just there. Uh, if some of you would like to correspond, he's asking for correspondence. He gets no letters. And he men- makes mention he only gets letters if it's legal or if a relative dies. That's about all that he gets. If you would like to, uh, take part of that, there is an address here. It is a Florida address. It threw me off at first too, but he says all his mail has to go down to Florida to get sorted and then they send it back up to him. So it will take a little while for all that to, to happen, but, um, it'd be nice to get some some letters out there, so if that's something you like to do, to to write to them. I'm going to leave this up over here. You can read over the letter, see the address, copy down the address, whatever you would like to to do to to uh, help them out with that. All right. Well, we started last week a new series looking at building our support team. That we need to have people that are around us to support us. We saw that Elijah did not. He was kind of a loner, and even though he had great power on his life, and God worked through many things, and he was very dedicated to the things of God. When he was threatened, not the only time he was threatened, but just happened at one time he was threatened, he went into a great state of depression. He was ready to die. He felt lonely. He felt let down by God. He got back out of it, and he went on and continued his ministry for a number of years after that. But we saw that Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat, they faced crises too, but they stayed in faith. And the big difference between two is that Elijah is the loner. The other two had people in their lives to help them and to support them. We're going to take a look at another person here today, not quite in the category of Elijah, but someone that there was a great anointing on their life, but they were a loner. And they never came to be what God called them to be. We're going to be over here in Judges chapter 14. We're looking at Samson. Now I went back in the in um, my archives and my, my outlines, and I noticed that it had, it has been so long since we did a deep dive. I almost wanted to pull doing this on Sunday and just say we're going to we're going to get into this some other time. We can do the whole thing. But it was in the year 2000 uh, 2000 even actually, and we went into this, spent five weeks on Samson. There's a lot to learn from him. Some of the things not to do. But we're gonna t- just, we're, we're not gonna spend the five weeks on it. Uh, most we're gonna spend here is two. But I want you to, to see some of this. Uh, th- this is such an old series, I don't even know if you can find it on CD. I know it's not digital, it's not up on the, uh, uh podcast or anything like that, but, uh, I'll have to look and see if I can dig through archives and find some things out. Because since we're gonna get into it here for two weeks, it means we won't be getting into Samson for a while longer. <laughs> for, for at least for, not for the deep dog that we, We like to do. But uh, there is much that is given to us and much is misunderstood about Samson. And you can learn some things about what's going on here today. But let's take a look at this. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord and that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, if we were doing our deep dive, that's probably all the scripture we would get into. (coughs) There's enough in there. You could spend a whole lot of time and, and, just, and just learn some things about God and about how people respond to the anointing, but we're not looking at it for all that. We're looking at the part of the, the support team. The first thing you need to know about Samson is it was a miraculous birth, and uh, when they received this, this gift child, this miracle, and this birth, uh, God told them, you're going to have a child, and my anointing is going to be on him, and he's going to deliver the people of Israel. And so they saw the anointing on them, and if we spend time in chapter 13 you would see that they had a dilemma and you can see this in some of the ways they conversed with God. They they didn't know how to raise an anointed child. And so they basically took a hands-off policy and just let the anointing that was on Samson's life govern him. You cannot let the anointing that is on your life govern you. Anointing is bestowed. Character is built. And if you do not have the character to sustain the anointing that God has put on you, then you will not. You, you will either not walk in the anointing to the degree that you were supposed to or that anointing will take you uh, places that you aren't supposed to go. So he did not take the time to build the character. And so he went down to Timnah. He saw a woman there. As far as we can tell, all he did was see her. Maybe he chatted with her a little bit. But then he went up and told his father and mother, mother and said, look, make a deal. Because that's what they had to do. They had to make deals to, to, to procure a wife. You didn't just go in there and, and date for a while and then uh, decide to get married. No, it was kind of arranged by mom and dad. And so the mom and dad had to get involved and there'd be dowries, and there'd be payments and things like that. So he go, he's going on down there. And Samson, he's spending time around the Jewish, the Jewish girls and none of them catch his eye. He gets down into the area of Philistines And one of them does catch his eye. Now, you may be able to picture this on your own. But if you are a good Jewish girl, there's a certain way that you would dress. If you are a Philistine girl, how many could tell that probably is different? They probably dress a little more provocatively. They probably don't dress as modestly as the Jewish girls do. And so these kind of things are what catches his eye. They may not talk the same way. They may not act the same way. There's a lot of differences there, and he's drawn to that because Samson, in not developing his character, is a very sensual being. And this is the things that draws him in. You can tell from the way that he talks to his parents, and I heard some of you gasp at this, that uh, he runs them. He runs the household. Nothing worse than a child running a household. Get her for me as wife. Come on, be gone. Get to busy. There's no respect. There's no honor given to his parents. There's no respect between him and his parents. They're just there to get him what he wants and what he needs or determines that he needs. I have seen a woman of ten now the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Come on, find yourself a good Jewish girl. Verse 4 could be very puzzling to some people, and we did cover this topic a little bit with uh, with Joseph at the very last of that series, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Tell me if this sounds like a plan of God to you. God says, I'm going to have this anointing rest upon Samson, this great anointing, anointing I've never put on anyone else. I'm going to have this great anointing upon Samson. But the only way I can get this anointing to work against the Philistines is if I can get Samson to marry an uncircumcised, well not uncircumcised but a, a heathen. The Philistines are uncircumcised, not necessarily her. Uh, but if we can just get him to marry a heathen, and uh, by doing that, I'll have an opportunity to uh, deliver Israel. Does that sound like God? Uh, no. What you can tell from here is a lot of things that are not said, but when I point them out to you, you're going to see that this is, this is so. Samson is called to deliver Israel from who? The Philistines. Now think about some of the people that were called to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Gideon is one. Did the Philistine I'm sorry, Midian, he was going to deliver them from the Midianites. Did the Midianites like Gideon? Didn't they want to kill him? Did the Philistines like Saul? He was called to deliver them. If you go through the book of Judges and you find the people that were called to deliver people from Philistines, Midianites, whatever it might be, you will find that the people they're supposed to be delivered from don't like the person who was raised up to deliver them. Moses was called to deliver Israel from Egypt. Did the Egyptians like Moses? So how is it that this great anointing that is put on this man to deliver the Philistines, or Israel from the Philistines, is able to just walk into their city? How can he just walk into their city? Talk with them. Make deals with them. How is that possible? So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat though he had nothing in his hand but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. How many people have torn apart a young goat? I haven't either but apparently it must be easy. <laughs> that's not quite the thing I would compare it to but anyway that's what we did. Maybe you know, being young it's not going to uh, put up much of a fuss or whatever it might be. But let me just go over this part here with you. A Nazarite vow, and in Judges thirteen 7, we're told that he would be a Nazarite. And it said, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. If you want, you can write this scripture down. We're not going to read it. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Those verses will tell you what a Nazarite vow is. A Nazarite vow is made for a period of time. It is made for a period of time of a week, a couple of weeks, a few months. It is always temporary. It has a beginning and it has an end. If during that period of time you falter from the Nazarite vow, it has a procedure for how you can get back into it. The beginning of that procedure is to shave your head. Keep that in mind. That's how you re restore the Nazarite vow. But I'm going to summarize it this way for you. If you take a Nazarite vow, you are to abstain from basically three things, three areas. One, things made from grapes. Do not restrict this to just be wine, alcoholic type things. If you read the passage I gave you, you will find out if you take a Nazarite vow, you are not to have wine, you are not to have grape juice, you are not to have grapes, you are not to have raisins, you are not to have grape seeds, you are not to have anything made from grape seeds, you are not to have anything made from grape skins, if a grape is involved in any way, you are not to touch it. You are not, you're not to have it. You are not to eat anything that comes from the vine. Anything made from grapes is off limits. The second thing that you're not supposed to do, you abstain from, is shaving your head. Now, some of you folks, you just don't have an urge to shave your head. <clears throat> but uh, apparently, if you have a natural nice, right bowel, that's not something that you could do. And it also hints at that you uh, probably aren't supposed to cut your hair. Now, I don't know if you were, could never cut your hair or you just had to let your hair be long. You couldn't shave your head. Uh, I don't know that you had to you had let your hair get so long that it would clunk, come down the ground, but you, you need to have long hair. Long hair is mentioned in the vow. And here's the third one, go near or become defiled by a dead body. That included if while you're in this Nazarite vow, your parents die, your mom dies, your dad dies, a brother or sister dies. Your wife dies, your husband dies. If you're under this Nazarite vow, you are not to go near that dead body. Samson was to be a Nazarite all the days of his life, from the day he was born until the day that he would die. That is an unusual thing. It's usually just for a period of time. So this is, this is what they were supposed to do. But if you go back to verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. Now look at this. And came to the vineyards of Timnah. Timnah is apparently known for its vineyards. If you have a Nazarite vow, and you are not supposed to have anything to do with things grown on a vine. Why are you in a vineyard? Why in the world are you in a vineyard? Why are you walking through the vineyards? Why are you in a town with the vineyards? If you have a town that has a lot of vineyards around, what do they primarily make? Things made from grapes, which would, of course, include wine. So he's hanging out around the things he's supposed to abstain from. And then he has this lion jump out at him, and he kills the lion. The Spirit of God came upon him to kill the lion. Notice, he is not surprised that the Spirit of God came upon him to kill the lion because this is not the first time that the Spirit of God has come upon him with strength and with might. One of the reasons that the Philistines receive him into their city is Samson is a bit of a celebrity. People know about him and they know about his great strength. But the anointing that is on him is for great strength to deliver Israel from the Philistines. It seems that Samson has used the anointing for everything but deliverance. He has done some great things with strength, but he has not delivered the Philistines. He has not used this against the Philistines. So when God says he's looking for an occasion against the Philistines, what he's doing? He's looking down his, his, uh his servant there, Samson. I put this great anointing on him to deliver Israel from the Philistines, and he's killing lions and whatever else he's doing picking up stuff you know it's like that commercial we love that commercial for uh, Planet Fitness I pick things up and I put things down I love that commercial that's a great one Samson's going around he's picking things up and he's putting them down but he's not delivering anyone so much so that the enemy he's supposed to be called against come on in Oh, you want to marry one of our gals? Sure, we'll make up a deal. We'll do something about that. But the Spirit of God came upon him mightily and tore the lion apart. Now you could ask, why in the world would the Spirit of God come upon him mightily and tear this thing apart? What purpose does this have? And if we were doing a deep dive into this character, we would spend more time on that. But we need to go on, or we're not going to have time. So he had nothing in his hand. He just killed this lion by his uh, with his hands. We've heard other people that have done this as well. One of David's men did this. David himself took on a lion, but he, of course he had a weapon in his hand. So he does not tell his mom and dad that he killed the lion. He just killed it and went on. Maybe it wasn't a big deal to him. So uh, let's, uh, let's go on. Two verse seven. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So some time had passed. He went on down. He saw her. That's the one I want. And so they, they set up the deal. He goes back on home. After the deal's all set up, he's ready to uh, commence this deal and, and get on with this this uh, marriage, come and get his wife. So he comes on down. Enough time had transpired that a swarm of bees came and made a nest in the carcass of the lion. I'm not too familiar that bees like to do that, but these ones did. And so they're in there, and he sees the, the bees and the honey. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw bees making honey and there was a nest, I'm not going towards it to get the honey. If I want honey, i go down to Giant. <laughs> i go to those little roadside stands. I don't go to the beehive. I'm, I'm just not that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he goes up to the beehive, sticks his hand in there and grabs some of the honey. What happened to the bees? We don't know. Apparently, it didn't do much to them somehow. And he just goes on. He's got the honey. He's eating the honey on the way, and he gives to his parents. But he didn't tell them where he got it from. You know why? Because I'm not supposed to be touching the dead carcass. That's against that's the Nazarite vow. If I tell mom and dad about it, well, then they'll know. They'll make an issue of it. Obviously, it's not an issue. I mean, like God didn't do anything about it. And see, this is what a lot of Christians are—is where Samson is. We try and flirt with what I'm not supposed to do and see what I can get away with. Well, I did that. and didn't cause me any harm. Hmm. Maybe, and you push it a little bit more. Then you push it a little bit more. And pretty soon you feel like, I can do anything I want. So he doesn't tell them about it, but they're eating the honey. So his father went down to the woman and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so and it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them let me pose a riddle to you if you can correctly solve and explain it with, to me within seven days of the feast then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. They said to him pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. I am told that it's not uncommon during these kind of feasts to throw out little riddles like this and get people to solve it. It's not always common for the bit to be there. But notice here at the beginning that when he comes on down for basically his wedding, he's preparing a feast and they provide him with 30 companions. That may not jump out to you as what it is. What they did was they gave him a bridal or a, a groomsman's party. Because he came with neither a best man nor any groomsman. If you are going to your wedding. Because this is what this is. This is a wedding. If you were going to your wedding. And you left your hometown. We're not talking about that many miles but you left your hometown and you show up at the wedding, wouldn't you invite some of your friends? Wouldn't you want your best friend to be there as your best man? His best man comes out of these 30 companions. Someone he had never met before is now his best man. That tells us an awful lot. tells tells me basically two things that are going on in the life of Samson. One, he has no friends because no one likes him. He's extraordinarily selfish, stuck up, and wants people to do things for him, including his parents. Have you ever ever known somebody like that who expected everything to be done for him? And just when you got close to him, they started giving you orders. Do this for me. Do this. We'll carry this. We'll get this for me. And um, we don't like that. I don't like to be. I like to offer to do things, but I don't like to be told to do things. That's no no good. So that could be be part of the reasons why he has no friends and no one that, that comes along with him. It could be that he has no Hebrew friends because no one is good enough. Or maybe they all just find fault with him. Now, maybe you know some people. I'm sure no one here is this way. But maybe you know some people and they they don't have any friends because every time they get a friend, they're always picking on them. They always, they find fault with them. You know, we watch the shows on TV and the person's all friendly. Oh, hi, Vanessa, how you doing? Man, that Vanessa, oh, I'll tell you what. And after a while, you're doing that and word will get around. And then pretty soon, people don't want to be your friend. And know you're two-faced then you're always finding fault with them. It could be that Samson is always finding fault with the people that are around him. It could be that he does have friends back home, but the friends didn't want to come. They told him, and said, Samson, look, this is the wrong move. This is not the direction you should go. You need to, to find a wife around here. Don't be going to them. Isn't that your calling? Aren't you supposed to deliver Israel from them and now you're going to go over and marry one? So it could be something like that. Maybe no one's good enough. Maybe he's just a lousy person. Or maybe the friends he does have, they just found fault with him. Whatever it was, this is why he doesn't have the support group, why he doesn't have the friends. One of the things we need to make sure we do, think of other people first. Make sure you think of other people first. Samson doesn't do that. He thinks of Samson first. Whether anybody else is on the list, I don't know. Could be the top three things he thinks about is Samson, Samson, and Samson. I put this in your outline for you. Your companions need to be right in spirit more than function. Your companions need to be Right in spirit more than function. It is more important that the people you get to be around you are right in their spirit than they are in their function. You may have some friends and maybe they're real good at this but not so good at this. Then you got some other friends and they're real good at this but not so good at this. A good way to drive away all your friends from you is to make the friends that are not good at something demand that they become good at it. Well, I need you to be this way. But that's that's not how I am. John Maxwell, I'm pretty sure it was John Maxwell who taught this in some of his leadership things. He says, you will find out as you, are, as you uh, grow and as you develop that there are certain things that you are really good at. How many would say, you don't have to say what they are. How many would say, I know I have a couple of things in my life that I am really good at. I can do this better than most people can. It's all right to say you can. God created you with certain abilities. And you, you need to find them. And there's other things that you're not so good about. How many of you know there's some things in your life you're not so good at? Mm-hmm. Yep. A sure way to failure or a sure way to mediocrity is to spend most of your time developing the things you're not so good at to try and make them stronger. That's a good way to reach mediocrity or complete failure. You are not called to develop your weaknesses. You are called to develop your strengths. This is what God has made you to do. One of the principles that John would always teach us in, the, in these things we would get to is 20% of most people's time is spent on what yields 80% of their results. And how you think about this in your your job, what you do, 20% of your time will yield about 80% of your results. The rest of the 80% of your time yields about 20%. So he was what he was teaching us was, find a way to spend more of your time in the 20%. Because if 20% of your time given to this area yields 80% results, What would happen if you increased that to 40% of your time? What would happen if you increased it to 60% of your time? What would happen if you increased it to 80% of your time is spent in that area? You see, the things in our life that we're not as strong at, we can get distracted by trying to develop them, trying to make them better. No, just look for people to come alongside you that can help you in that well I'm not so good at this but so and so is good we'll help them we'll let them and one of the principles we were taught in, in this is that if you if you have someone in your life who can do what you're doing if you have someone in the job who can do what you're doing and is 85% as effective as you are that's right not quite as good 85% as effective as you are you are wasting your time doing it yourself that's a hard thing to learn at first but the more that you learn it, the more you find a way to get your time spent into the 20% area and increase that time. And if you can increase that time, you will do more good. This is where God called you to be. Remember Moses? Spending all his time sitting there in the judge seat. Jethro comes along and says, man, you're going to wear yourself out, wear other people out. What you need to do is the things that, you, that only Moses can do, and you need to let other people do these things. That's what we need to learn. But anyway, that's another, another thing. But make sure your companions, the people that are around you, make sure that their spirit is right. Make sure that their attitude is right. Make sure that their heart is right. Make sure that they're pursuing God. Don't worry about the function. Don't, don't sit there and the devil's gonna always point out, well, this person's not this way for you. They're not, they don't do this for you. Stop it. That's not God showing you things. That's the enemy. God doesn't accuse. The enemy does. The unfortunate part is that some Christians can't discern between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. And so they give in to these things. If you are too picky, you will have none. You will have no support people at all. If you're not selective enough, you could be compromised. You've got to make sure that you find people that have a good spirit in them don't be too picky about the function. You can help them out with that. Don't go out there and find people that are carving copies of you. That will not help you. You need to find people that are different from you. And get as many different people around you as you can. And then stop trying to take those people and make them into you. Let them be them. And enjoy them for who they are. Once you get to the place where you stop trying to change everybody around you and just enjoy who they are, your life will, will change drastically. So, so the people you have in your, in your life for support, they will have flaws. Just know it. They will have flaws. They'll be flawed just like you're flawed. It's okay. Don't be so picky. But it came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Now, that part of the seventh day, many of the manuscripts that are out there, including, and I wrote, I think I wrote this in your, no, I, I, maybe I took it out, but including the LXX, which stands for, everybody remember? That's the Septuagint. If you ever see LXX in anything at all, it stands for the Septuagint. That is the Greek Translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint also reads it this way. On the fourth day. On the fourth day. So they spent three days trying to figure this out themselves. They couldn't figure it out. So on the fourth day, they go to the wife. And they threaten her. And they say to her, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. Or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here in order to take what is ours? So these 30 companions that are there to celebrate the wedding with Samson are now threatening to kill his wife. Wouldn't you want people like that in your life? Because they, they don't want to lose the bet. That's all. I just don't want to lose the bet. I think I, I left this in your outline. See the difference. Satan's inspiration Do what we say or we burn or destroy you now. That's that's Satan's inspiration. Whenever you hear stuff like this, do what we say or we burn you or we destroy you (coughs) now. (coughs) Excuse me. That is Satan's inspiration, not God's. God says, do what I wrote in my word so you can avoid being burned or destroyed in the life to come. Satan wants to destroy you in this life. God does not. He wants to bless you in this life. God wants to preserve you in the life that is to come. Satan wants you to burn. But he also wants you to burn here. This word for entice has a lot of meanings, a lot of different meanings, but when it's used in a sinister way like it is here, it means to delude. Allure, deceive, enlarge, entice, flatter, or persuade. In other words, I want you to get in there And I want you to delude the truth. Delude what's really going on. Keep that away. I want you to take what is small and make it big. Enlarge it. I want you to take what is large and make it small. Boy, I tell you what, the news media does that. They take things that are really have no consequence and they blow them up into something big. And they take things that are a big consequence and they shrink them down to something small or don't cover them at all. That's the way of the of the enemy. Entice your husband. Now they call on the husband. During his feast it seems that they are considered married. Now God does not entice. He offers plain and unexaggerated choices. You can do this, you can do this. Here's the end result if you do this. Here's the end result if you do this. So it's your choice. Then Samson's... Now, how did we start the service? Everybody remember? I love my... Thank you. I appreciate that. I love my past. Yep. Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? Now she had wept with him the seven days, of it actually before, while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much that she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. How big of a deal is it that he tell her? Is it a big deal? It's a little tiny deal. Little tiny thing. But she's making it into what? Big deal. And then we've added the drama. I'm sure none of the wives here have ever done anything like this. But maybe you can picture other wives in other countries who have who have done these sort of things. One thing happened. They just got married. They don't even have a week. You only hate me because you won't do this thing that I want. You only hate me. You don't love me. If you love me, you would do this. Mm-mm. Don't be, get into that sort of stuff. This is a heathen girl. You oppose the riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. Why could you keep this from me? I thought you would. I thought you loved me. There should be no secrets. You should tell it all to me. Yeah. Like the secret you're keeping. That they approached you to get the riddle. Like, like that one. Huh. How many other secrets are there? Mm-mm. No. You got to be careful on this. Because there's, there's a sin nature in each of us. But. I have learned this. There is a male sin nature. And there is a female sin nature there is because when that sin nature goes bad in a man you will go through i've gone through the word we spent time on this uh, years ago haven't done it in a while when the sin nature goes bad in a man they go a certain direction there's a lot of force there's a lot of anger there's a um, a lot of physical stuff It, it goes in that kind of a direction when the sin nature gets hold of a woman. It goes in the nature of not the same way as the man. It goes in the nature of conniving. It goes in the nature of deceit. It goes in the nature of finding ways to get their way. It goes into ac- accusation. There, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But this is what happens. There is a feminine sense in nature. And there is a masculine one. And if you understand the principles of both, then you can see it when you're getting off. The worst thing in the world is when people let their sin nature go and disguise it by being spiritual. And this is what we have in Samson. I've got the anointing of God on me. The anointing of God comes upon me to do things no other person can do. Therefore, whatever I do, whatever comes to me is God. Oh, I tell you what, you got to be careful. Doesn't the word of God tell us, test the spirits, make sure they are of God? Because I am capable of hearing something in the flesh, hearing something from the enemy and seeing God in it. I am capable of using cunning and craftiness to get what I want instead of faith and believing God. I am capable of using deceit and deceitful practices instead of being what God says and being honest and straightforward. I am capable of those things no matter how spiritual I get. Samson had an anointing on him that as far as we can tell never came upon another person. And Samson never saw this thing really get off the ground. This is what his wife does. She pesters him. She cries on him. She's not crying because she's sad. She's not crying because something's not coming to her that she wants. She's crying because I'm going to get this out of you. Now what she does to to her husband for four straight days, get this, is how many Christians approach prayer. This is how many Christians approach prayer. How do we approach prayer? Oh God, I need to I'm going to die if I don't have this. Oh God, please help. Oh God, change this. Oh God, do this. And it doesn't change. We come back again. Oh God, oh God. And we cry on them. And we weep. And we plead. Trying to get what we want. Because we think, if I keep doing it, eventually God will get tired of hearing me. And he'll do it. No, God answers faith. Don't follow in the pathways of a Philistine woman here. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Now it's got to be pretty bad at home, even though we've only been married for seven days. It's got to be pretty bad when you are so angry at your wife and the things that she has done that you call her a cow. I mean, that's, <laughs> try that at home, see what happens. You plow with my hip. Now, this is, is kind of how it went on. We don't get this part into scripture, but this is kind of how it went on. She's crying, oh, Simpson, oh, Simpson, oh, Simpson, tell me, tell me, tell me. And he finally tells her, oh, thank you, and out of the house, runs over to the people. He may have even followed her. And he sees her tell them the, the, the deal. And then they come on over. We got it. We got it. And so when he says, Yeah, you you use my wife to get that information. And he was mad. He was angry. Verse 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. Took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused. And he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Hmm. Now see, Samson will do what he needs to do to activate the anointing of God when he is angry. You can write these in. I didn't have room for you to put a put a line in every each one. But when he's angry, in trouble, or in need, he will activate the anointing of God on his life when he is angry. When he's in trouble or when he's in need. He won't do it to deliver his people. He won't do it because God gave him a purpose. He won't do it because God said. By comparison, Moses would activate the anointing of God when God was angry. Moses would activate the anointing that God put on his life when God was angry. When the people were in trouble... Or when there was a need for God's people. Can you see the difference? Now this riddle, take a look at the fruit that came from this riddle. Samson is angry because he didn't get what he wanted. The Philistines are gloating over their victory. Samson's new wife is coerced into espionage. And the Philistines are killed... 30 of them, not because of what they do to Israel. Not because of some purpose that God put upon Samson's life, but because of what they own. See, he's not pursuing this in any way, but this, as far as we can tell, this is the first time he has used the annoying God put on his life to come against Philistines. And he kills 30 of them takes their stuff. Hauls it on back and gives it to the guys kind of angrily. Now, I don't have too much time to get into the chapter 15, but I put the reference there because I wanted you to, you know, if you want to go on home and and check this out. But it said in verse 1, after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Used to be, you know, in today's day, flowers is the way to get to your, to your woman. Apparently there it was a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. You can kind of read into the lines what he's saying there. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. (laughs) Boy, father of the year right there, isn't it? I know you like that one, my daughters, but you know, she really wasn't the best one. Never liked her. But here, have this one. This is my favorite. This is, this one's far better. And Samson said that in this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. (laughs) Okay, he's looking for a reason here. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each of their pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. And the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. They did what they threatened anyway. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. He went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Atam. Now the Philistines went up encamped camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lahai. And the men of Judah said, We have come up against us. Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Atem and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, "As I, As they did to me, so I have done to them. See, he hadn't done anything to the Philistines until this. This is all, all new stuff. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. He may be thinking the anointing of God will not come upon me to defend myself against my brethren but it will come upon me when the Philistines try and do anything. When he went, when he came to Lahai, the Philistines came shouting against him and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes they were on his arms became, became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands and found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now, just a stop right there. If you have a jawbone of a donkey, is that donkey alive or dead? He is dead. More than likely, he's been dead for a little while. So he has picked up a dead thing. He reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramath Lahai. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Who does that sound like? Does that not have a little bit of a sound of Elijah? Hmm. A little bit similar. So God split the hollow place that is in Lahai and water came out and he drank and he, and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore he called its name En Hakur, which is in Lahai to this day and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now imagine this, that the anointing of God comes upon you in such a strong way. That you can pick up something that is not a weapon, the jawbone of a donkey, and swing it as a weapon. You can't get very, very uh, far from the person. You have to get right up to that person and swing that to kill them. You've got all these people, they came prepared to take a man who had great strength. Do you think they came without weapons? And yet, not a single one is able to get a hold of him. This is all they came for. Don't think Israel is on his side. They're ready to turn him over. They weren't going to fight for him. He's fighting this battle by himself. And he comes against the entire group. By himself. And he slays how many? One thousand. When Saul came against the Philistines. And they had the armies that came. And they they slaughtered the Philistines. Was it a thousand people who died? Was it more? It was more. When Gideon came and he enlisted all the help of the people around, he had 300 people with him, and those 300 went out against the Midianites. How many Midianites died? Hundreds of thousands. So much so, the victory was so great that they achieved the victory on that day. Samson goes out by himself with nothing but the anointing of God on him slays 1,000. Has he changed their situation? Has he delivered them from the Philistines? He hasn't done a thing. Because Samson doesn't know how to have a support team. He doesn't know how to bring people along next to him to help him in these things. He knows how to drive people away, but he doesn't know how to bring them close by. See, this is what happens in our life. Many, many times... We have done things that drive the people in our life away from us so that our support team is not there. They would have been. They would have been glad to have been, but we drove them away. Husbands drive away wives. Wives drive away husbands. Children drive away parents. Parents drive away children. Neighbors drive away other neighbors. Friends who are friends for long periods of time drive each other away cause of certain things and their support team the people that were there to help them are gone what is it that we are doing that causes us to be alone in the battles that we face if I can find out what it is that I'm doing that causes these people to go away from me I can go far in turning this around Now, if you look at this on a small scale, this is going to show you the potential of the anointing that is on Samson. Can you imagine if Samson took that anointing that was on his life and teamed it up with other people like David did? Can you imagine the deliverance that would have come? But he didn't do that. I'm going to give you something here. You can write these in if you choose to. Seven laws in building a support team. If you want to have a support team, here are seven things that you can do or not do to bring this about. First off, don't demand perfection. Don't demand perfection. Don't demand perfection in your spouse. Don't demand perfection in your kids. Don't demand perfection in your parents. Don't demand perfection in your neighbors. Don't demand perfection in your friends. Don't demand perfection in the people that you are acquaintances with. Don't demand perfection. Because if you demand perfection of them, they're going to demand perfection of you. And if you don't measure up, they will reject you in the same way that you have rejected them. Husbands and wives, this will work for you as well. If you keep demanding perfection from your spouse, your spouse will demand perfection from you, and you will both reject each other. Parents, if you keep rejecting or expecting perfection from your kids, they will begin to expect perfection from you, and they will reject you on your flaws, just as you have rejected them on theirs. And The cycle keeps on going on. I have to realize I am imperfect. God is still working on me. He is developing things. He has shown me things. I know things this year to work on I didn't know about last year. He's developing me. If I have patience and mercy with myself, I better have patience and mercy with other people. First thing, don't demand perfection. Here's a second. Don't expect each one to be Everything. Don't expect each person on your support team to be everything. Each person on your support team is gonna have a role. When you have a corporation, you have people in that corporation, doesn't each person have a role? In fact, if it's a big corporation, you have the IT department. What's the IT department do? All the computers and stuff like that. So that means that somebody over here in this area in sales, I don't have to know how to fix the computer, I just know how to use it. And if it needs to be fixed, I take it to the people who fix it. And the people who fix the computer say, I don't know how to sell the product, I just need to know how to keep the computers working. And if each person understands why they're in the team, they can focus in on what they're supposed to do. But we sometimes expect perfection out of the people that are on our team. And if they're not perfect, I reject them. Well, yeah, I was thinking that me and -and so-and-so that we could team up and we could do some things, but you know, they're just not as spiritual as I'd want. They just don't pray the way I want them to pray. They just don't study. They don't know the word. They don't... We come up with all these reasons and we reject them. Remember, David didn't reject 600 people that became instrumental in his life. There are people in your life that you have rejected that God intended for them to be a help. But the, because the accuser of the brethren came upon and whispered in your ear, do you see that in them? Do you see that? And he got you to focus on something that is imperfect in them, and you rejected them from being a help. The enemy cut you off from the source that God wanted. He does this a lot in marriages. I expect my wife, I expect my husband to be this, 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 and this. And you've got to be careful. You married that person the way that they were. They don't need to be everything in your life. Maybe your spouse is going to be one of the main things, one of the main people that you support or depend on. But they may not be everything in your life. You may have other people that you can go to that help out in this area. That's all right. Don't expect each one to be everything. Here's the third this is tough. This is the this this number three is where a lot of people falter. If you got through the first two, number three might might uh, knock it out for you. Think and speak positively about them. One more word I got to add on that. Think and speak positively about them always. Always. This is a hard thing to do. To go out and speak positively about your wife, about your husband all the time. To go out and speak positively about your friends. To speak positively about your boss. To speak, speak positively about your coworkers. That is a hard thing to do. Because we are constantly brought up about the things that are going on. Think and speak positively about them always sow into them, number four, sow into them before you harvest from them. We all know the concept in Scripture. I have got to sow before I reap a harvest. Isn't that right? You've got to plant seeds before anything grows. You may have a vegetable garden, but if you don't plant vegetables, no vegetables are coming. You've got to plant them. I have to sow before I reap. And the same thing with relationships. You've got to be willing to sow before you reap. There's some people, God's bringing them in my life. What can I sow into them? What can I do? What can I help them with? And you begin to sow. And you begin to sow. And you begin to sow. This is something that we have to do. Sow into them before you harvest from them. Here's a good one. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. Do you know that some people just don't enjoy the fellowship of their friends? These are the friends they're supposed to have around. I just, oh, we have to get together with so-and-so. You know I don't like getting together with so-and-so. If you don't enjoy their friendship, it's going to come out. If you don't enjoy their presence, it's going to come out. I've got to learn how to enjoy their fellowship. If you focus on the negatives, you won't enjoy the fellowship. You gotta, you gotta learn how to, how to do this. You can do it. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. There's things you can do to make that fellowship time better. Well, every time I get together this one, you know, they get off on this area over here. Well, then don't let them get off on that. Every time they try and steer over here, you know what? <laughs> and you just take them to a whole other area. You can do it. But you see, honestly, it works a, a whole lot better. Sometimes it's just better to go up to people and say, you know what? Can we just not talk about that area? Just be honest with them. I, I like talking with you. But I really like talking about this area over here. Or Especially if you know, if you have two friends that are different politically. Don't talk about politics. politics. Don't do it. You're not going to win them over. They're probably not going to win you over. Let's talk about other areas. Yeah, but that's a real hangout for me. We'll quit letting it be. You can have fellowship with people that believe differently, voted differently. You can have fellowship with them. You can find areas that you're you can have a commonality with, but just, you know, we don't want to go under there. And sometimes, you know, I have, fr- have friends and they know I, I'm not, I don't hide my feelings in this area. I am a conservative. I'm, I don't identify by a party, but I do identify that way. And I define what that is. I don't let other people define it. I define what a conservative is. It is not necessarily what other people think it is. But I, I believe in small government. I don't like big government. I like small government. I like a government that is not involved in our lives making our decisions. Now, I can go on the, the list of things, but it's not a, not real important. But if I have somebody and they want to steer me into that conversation, you know what I say? <laughs> I can say this is John because I know. John and I, we talk about this all the time. We are as much on the same page as this as we can possibly be. We don't have any problem with that area. <laughs> but if we were out running and, and John says... You know, and he brings up one of those things, this is, I would just say to him, John, you know, we don't agree on this. And we're not going to get anywhere talking about it, so let's go on to something else. And then we would go on to something else. Now, I don't have to do that with John, because <laughs> we're kind of fuel for each other there. Yeah, did you see that? I know. I can't believe they... <laughs> don't, um, don't, do don't do that. Just steer around. Be honest with people. Don't feel like you got to cover up all those things that are going on on the inside. Just be honest with them. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time with that relationship. Speak honestly about it. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. Here's a here's one. I wish more people could learn this. Oh, I wish more people could learn this. Be pleasant to be around. Be pleasant to be around. Make it so that people actually want to be in your presence. And they see you coming, they oh Mandy's coming. <laughs> and they run over to see Mandy. And it's not like Oh, Mandy's coming. Maybe she can see. Me. No, you want to be you want to be pleasant. I, I want to be so pleasant that people may not have time to talk with me, but they'll still come over and say, Oh, hey Steve, I don't have time to chat with you, but I just want to come over and say hi and let you know that I saw you, but I really have to be on my way. That's all right, be on your way and, and, and get going. Be pleasant to be around. One of the things you can really help people out with in being pleasant to be around is be sensitive to what they need. One of the things, I've done this for so many years, I don't even know when I started it, but usually when I call somebody up on the phone I ask them, is this a good time to talk with you? Because it may not be. And sometimes people say, uh, no, it's not. We'll call back later. And then I don't delay it. I don't. If they say, no, I need to get going somewhere, fine. That's. I'll call you back. I don't hang that conversation on. I don't try and find, well, one more thing. No, nope, we hang up that conversation. We get going with it. Because you know this. How many people have people in your phone... Their contact information is there, and it's there so that when they call, you know it's them. How many How many people have some numbers in your phone like that? I just want to know when they're calling me because I want to know I'm not answering that phone because it's them. They're not in my phone because I want to call them. They're in my phone, so I know they're calling me. Yeah, we got some of those, right? Why? Because they chew up your time. They they waste time talking about things that are not pleasant the whole time you're there. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. Look, I gotta go. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and you know, if I get on that phone with them, they're not gonna let me go. Don't be that person. Be pleasant to be around. Be sensitive to what they want. Be sensitive to how they're how they're going. And just if if they don't have time for right now, that's fine. We can talk later. I think it was it was one time I, was, I called Bruce up. Was, this week, last week, I don't know what it was. I called him When you guys got back from Hawaii, I called him up. Hey, Bruce, how's it going? Just to catch up on things. Hey, we're at the chiropractor. Good, I'll call you later. <laughs> 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 no, it's, you, you don't need to, to, to be pleasant. Do pleasant things. Be the person that people want to be around. Don't do unpleasant things. Because there are people that are like that. But just don't be that one. You see, if you are that kind of a person, you're driving your support team away. Be pleasant to be around. You ready for the last one, the seventh one? I already gave it to you. Think of others first. Think of others first. Don't think of yourself Think of others first. How can I help this person? What can I do? If you'll do these seven things, bring these seven things into your life. You will have a bigger support team than you have right now. If you make these things a focal point, this is what I'm going to focus on. This. Don't be like Samson, where everything is about him. Hey guys, I'm the anointed one. You see those things that I did? His anointing is not just about killing people. In the chapter to come, we're going to find out he picks up a gate, just carries it. A gate that takes many men to lift. He just picks it up by himself, rips it off the hinges, and carries it to the top of the hill. His strength is not just to kill people. He has strength. These are the things that we, need to, that we need to do. These are the things that we need to focus on. Let me give them to you again. Don't demand perfection. Don't expect each one to be everything. Think and speak positively about them always. Sow into them before you harvest from them. Learn to enjoy their fellowship. Be pleasant to be around. Think of others first. Think of others first. If you'll put these things to practice, and some of you may already be practicing, (laughs) but make up a focal point. You start doing these things, and the people that God is sending into your life to be a support group will begin to increase. And you'll have more. And when you come to a place where demand is being made on you, a crisis has hit, you will have people, when they hear, (gasps) you have this going on. Can I help? Can I come over? Can I do something? And we want to rise to the occasion and we want to help them. Instead, like Samson and like Elijah, when a crisis comes on, all I have to rely on is me. Samson, every battle he goes into, it's him. He is the only judge who does not lead an army, the only judge that does not lead into a fight. He is the only judge. Who goes at it by himself all the time. And the success of his ministry is summed up in the end of his life. Remember how he dies? When he crushes that building on all the people? It says in that instance that in his death he killed more Philistines than his entire life. He's supposed to deliver the people of Israel. And all up until that point, he hasn't even killed a stadium full of people. When you look at all the other ones who delivered the enemies, or, uh, delivered Israel from their enemies, it wasn't stadium. They didn't measure them in stadium pools. They measured them by hundreds of thousands. You need a support team. You're not in this by yourself. God did not intend for you to do this by yourself. Not only do you need a support team, you need somebody to support I am here to support others and other people will rise up and support me. And when you face those crises, when you face those trials, when you face those tests, when those things come at you, you're not ended up by yourself. You have other people that will help you out. You won't feel alone. You will feel empowered. Did anybody read the quote from today? Let me read it for you. Usually the quote has something to do with what we're getting into. Oh, it's, this is the old one. I need the new one. Can I use your Bolton? Thank you, John. Look at this. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. The fact that you're lonely does not mean that you're by yourself. The fact that you're lonely is what's missing on the inside of you. And God has desired to put that there with the people that are in your life. But for the most part, we have shut it down. And then we blame God for the state that we're in. So as we go through this, we're going to be looking at things in the Word. How do I get those things from other people that God intended? How do I stop canceling them out like Samson is doing? How do I open the door for these things to happen? Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you have a purpose for our life. We want to walk into that purpose intentionally and not be like Samson who has to get dragged there. That you had to begin to use situations around him that will get him angry so that he will tap into the anointing and walk in that deliverance power. But he never got out of only acting on his anger, only acting on those things that brought relief for him and did not look for ways to relieve. The people he was called to help. He felt lonely. He felt isolated. And even when he died, he died alone. But God, you have a greater purpose for us. For those people that are here that feel alone even though they're married, that feel alone even though they have children. That feel alone even though they have friends that feel alone even though they have plenty of neighbors on either side of them. We feel alone because inside we're missing something. We have not learned from your word how to glean that from the people in our life. And the accuser of the brethren has whispered in our ears things to cause distance between us and them. But you help us to overcome. If Jesus could gain things in support from those who followed after him as imperfect as they were we too can glean support from those that are in our life one thing we need to stop complaining about them start thanking God thanking God for our spouse, thanking God for our kids thanking God for our parents Thanking God for our co-workers, our boss, our neighbors, our friends. Instead of complaining, we get into a place of thankfulness. And I thank you that you help us to do it. You direct us that way. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.